Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. Happy New Year to you, by the way. Yes, happy 2020. 2020. It's the vision year. It's not. <laughs> it's, 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 it's going. The year is going. You'd have to I say that. I feel like it's a setup for a lot of hindsight is 2020 jokes, but I don't know who's <laughs> going to use them or when or in what circumstances, or, but they're, they're coming. If, Just prepare for them. Yeah. Or if any of us will even be around for it, you know, to do the hindsight jokes, I, I think that's right. fair. It'll be like we, the last thing that <laughs> people write before the earth melts. We'll be like, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> one one final joke before I go, and it's a hindsight is twenty twenty joke. I think that's, that's right. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. So a lot to cover today because it's been a little while, but the big one is going to be we're talking a little Hall of Fame, going to talk a little Super Bowl, very exciting. Um, so let me ask you point blank on the Hall of Fame because that's really going to be our main focus here. Were you happy with with the Hall of Fame results this year? Well, look, um, <laughs> I have to say this again. Nobody wants to hear this, but I'm apparently the only person who speaks the truth about this. Derek Jeter's not a Hall of Famer. Um, solid player. Solid. Uh, had a very good career. Like, I don't right. want to take anything away from him. He won five rings. But if you actually look at the numbers, he just isn't quite. He's the Hall of Very Good. If you want to put him in the Hall of Very Good, fine. But uh, look, never won a batting title, right? Right. right. He uh, never won know, an MVP. He, he, he uh, never won an MVP. He, you know, yeah, sure, he is an All Star. That's a popularity contest. You know, <laughs> you can't count that. He won Rookie of the Year. Oh, big deal! He won Rookie of the Year. Like that's yeah, everybody's won. On. Terry Steinbeck won Rookie of the Year. You don't see him in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, overall, one fifteen OPS plus. That's you know fifteen percent better than league average over the course of his career. Um, not a home run guy, you know, 260 total home runs in 20 years. What is that? That's, you know, tw 12 a year or something. I mean, come on. What? It's ridiculous. Uh, and so I get it. He's popular. He played in New York. He's a handsome guy, you know, was in a bunch of commercials. But uh, I, it's just a it was a mistake. We all knew it was going to happen. Uh, he compiled a lot of stats over the course of his years. He played on a, a great team's. He had great teammates, uh, teammates that were better than he was, you know, guys like Alex Rodriguez and Gary Sheffield and Bernie Williams and Chad Curtis and, uh, you know, Clay Bellinger sure. and Ramiro sure. Mendoza, Ramiro the guys, Mendoza. guys who actually belong there in the Hall of Fame. But, um, you know, look, I, am I disappointed? No, I knew it was going to happen. But uh, I'm just it's a shame that players with solid what you would call solid careers. Right. Right. And uh, just on, on a, a pure popularity vote, end up in the Hall of Fame. It's just kind of a shame. It's the standards. It's lowering the standards is what you're saying. That's what it is. And, you know, you, you, you have to feel like the Veterans Committee is a little bit at fault here because, you know, Harold Baines gets in and then people are like, well, Jeter's better than Harold Baines, which, by the way, he isn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It's, a, it's just the way of the world these days. These guys who put together solid careers in the majors end up getting into the hall of fame and you know good luck good for him yeah you know i i kind of get the sense that you have waited 20 years to do that to do that spiel like you've like like every part of the younger michael shore 
was like, oh, the day that guy gets in the Hall of Fame, you better believe you can't wait to hear. Well, look, again, I knew it was coming. You know what I mean? Like the guy never walked 100 times in a season. Really? We're going to let we're going to let him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's it's just I uh, it's just frustrating, you know, as a fan of the game, as an impartial viewer of the game, a guy with no bias, no rooting interests at all to see, you know, how low the standards have gotten. It just it's it's sad for the game. It's a black eye on the game, really, is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Never 10 triples in a year, did he? I mean, never once. You'd think a Hall of Famer would have had 10 triples in a year once. You know, I, it's just a, by the way, I did this. I did this when he retired. Yes. I went on like a long Twitter rant. <laughs> and it didn't go like, well. And <laughs> well, it was wonderful because <laughs> it was so long. It was like 25 tweets. And at the end I was like, of course I'm kidding. The guy's a first ballot hall of famer, blah, blah, sure. blah, blah, blah. But like the amount of blowback I got while I was <laughs> doing it, it was truly wonderful. And then I did it again. Uh, when he, I think when he, when he was, he was announced that he was, this was his first eligible year. I did it again. Same exact thing. I mean, the thing was that everybody, not everybody, but a, such a substantial number of people fell for it the second time. I don't, I mean, the first time I'm sure they did, but like I was getting like texts from people in the business I know where friends are like, has Mike Shore lost his mind? It's like, he's, he's, he's out there t- saying that Jared Peter's not a Hall of Famer? What is, what is, what is happening? And I'm just like, uh, I think your reaction is exactly what he was going for. I don't, Wait. I don't understand how you're missing this. But Wait, I think when Jeter was like, uh, let me look it up here. So in 2008, Jeter, he was 34 and he had his a, a pretty subpar year. Like he hit, he still hit 300, but he, it was just like not a good year. He had a 771 OPS and he, he, his power numbers were way down. He only had like 25 doubles. And so his OPS was lower than, you know, 70 points lower than it was the year before. And I think I, in my memory, I could be wrong, but in my memory, I cherry picked that year. And then the, in 2002, when he also had sort of a slightly down offensive year, uh, and had a sub 800 OPS. And I just used only <laughs> those two years <laughs> to make my argument. And it, it's just like, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it bums me out a little bit to, to do things like that and see how instantly people are furious. It bums me out for two reasons. Number one is I totally identify with them because I am as guilty as anyone oh, yeah. about flying off the handle about something that I don't realize is a is a satire or a joke or whatever. But it also bums me out because it just makes you realize how unreliable the internet is. Oh, like yeah. it just, there's no, there's the, the idea that there's any kind of straightforward or honest discourse over the internet is uh, patently false. And I, I've proven it only by talking about Derek Jeter on multiple <laughs> occasions. <laughs> well, well there, there's something else about this that, that I can't quite get my arms around. And that is, you know, I, I think people really truly want to see like like ridiculous arguments so they can get mad. I mean, like like sure. trying to prove their point about how angry they can get. I get that, but if honestly, if you're a fan of Derek Jeter, who who you know literally just just was one vote shy of being unanimous, what do you have to be mad about? Like what? Like 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 how are you not super comfortable in your own skin? I mean, I, I realize that that Jeter uh, took a lot of hits for his fielding. 
uh, as as he as he should have because he was not a many of them player. from you, many of them from me, and I stand <laughs> behind every one of them. But Derek Jeter was the most popular player in baseball for twenty years. He won five rings where he led. He had multiple seasons where he was you know in the MVP conversation. Enjoy life, people. You're a Derek Jeter yeah. fan. I mean, you it's good for you. Times are you times won the are race. Good. Like yeah. you like there's like it's it's when it's it's a little bit the way I felt when the Titans beat the Patriots this year. Right. Where I was like, I I mean, I I felt nothing. Like <laughs> I, I wasn't sad. I was like, well, what do you want out of rooting for sports? Right. There, there's nothing and I tweeted something like, you know, I just wish that Tom Brady had given me one memorable or happy moment in his entire career or something. It, Cause it's like, well, yeah, like you, the, the, I, the, the front runner, and I don't mean the, the, the dishonest front runner. I mean the, the person who's actually a fan of the best person right, right. who is the dominant athlete on the dominant team of his era or her era. Uh, you, you, even the, in the best of circumstances, in the most, in the wildest of your dreams, you get what Derek Jeter gave you, yes. right? You get you get five World Series championships, including three in a row. You get like twenty individual moments over the course of his career in high pressure situations that are replayed every single time anybody cuts a highlight reel together of right. the of the greatest moments in postseason history and blah blah blah. Uh, so like that's all you get. That's <laughs> there's nothing else. Like you can't, and it's like you're it. I think that there's some weird, this is my theory and I don't know if this is true or not, but like, you know, my son plays Madden football now okay. and, um, good and like, you know, yeah, but like in the way he plays on easy, he does, he's like a sort of casual Madden player yeah. and he plays on the easiest level. So he wins every game, you know, 127 to nothing <laughs> or whatever. But like, I think that those games have trained people to, uh, to, to, uh, to want to think that like perfection is possible, right? That you win, you win the Super Bowl or the NBA title or whatever every year, and you and, and your team wins their games one hundred and twenty-seven to nothing, and you're always the MVP and you're always the <laughs> best player, and and like I, I think that that has like bled over into real sports where it's like Tom Brady won six Super Bowls. No one's ever going to win. It, I would be shocked if anyone won three Super Bowls for the rest of time. I think that's probably like, no right. one will. Right. Like who's yeah. like Patrick Mahomes is 23 years old and he made the Super Bowl this year. There's a there's a coin flip whether he wins or not. Uh, and even if he does, the idea that like they can hold a team together that will get him there twice more and that he'll win both of those. That's really that's a super uh, long shot. You exactly. can get crazy odds. odds. Exactly. What like what are the odds that Patrick Mahomes wins three Super Bowls? Like five hundred to one or something? I mean, yeah, it's it's as, crazy. To... As clearly the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, yeah, yeah. as like a magician, as like a, a, an right. a, an athlete. Right. I mean, Lamar Jackson did stuff this year oh, on a really done. good team with right. a really really good roster and a really good defense and a really good coach that field. no one had ever seen before, and then lost at home to the Titans in yeah. the <laughs> round of the playoffs. And Aaron Rodgers is is back in the NFC Championship game with the best defense his team has had in like eight years, and they got manhandled by another team like. So the point of this is just to say that my team, the team I root for, would played in nine Super Bowls in a single era, in a single quarterback coach era, won six of them. Was in they as you pointed out, this is the first year 
uh, in the decade they didn't have a first round buy in the playoffs. Forget about making the playoffs. Incredible. And they only didn't have a first round buy because the team was it was smoke and mirrors all year, and then they lost to Miami in the last game of the season. But like, it's just incredibly hard to run the gauntlet in any sport. And Derek Jeter ran that gauntlet every. They were good every single year. You know, they they that team was the last team that sort of bridged the pre and post uh, salary cap eras and had the ability because of their financial dominance to just keep their team together and sign whoever they wanted and sure. all that stuff. And they, you know, they came, they won five championships. If they beat the Red Sox in 04, they probably win a, another one. Right. Um, they, they the I mean, they just sixth and, and, uh, and, uh, and got to, you know, lost to that Marlins team in that weird, I mean, that's, that's, the they lost to the Marlins in 03. They lost to the Diamondbacks on the final play in right, 01. Like right. they, they, but like that's the best you can do. The best you can do yeah, is yeah. be Derek Jeter right. or be Tom Brady and win six Super Bowls. And in the other three, it's like a, a three point spread right. every single time. Right. And in two of them, he led his team to a game tying or winning, potentially winning drive within like three minutes to go. Right. Um, the Eagles Super Bowl, even though they lost by seven or whatever it was, they had a Hail Mary at the end to try to <laughs> tie the game. Like it's as he had the best possible career right. that you can have. And so did Jeter. And so when people get angry about anyone um, saying anything about Derek Jeter or wishing that anything could have been different, anything could have been different about his career. It's just bananas. Well, it's, it's not. Well, I mean, look, that's the same thing I would argue that when, when people uh, take their shots at Tom Brady, um, I'm a Patriots fan. I'm saying to them, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, like I, as a Patriots fan, I mean, you won the lottery over and over and over again yeah. with this team. Yes. It does. It's fine. You want to, you want to take your shots from the outside. I like, I don't understand how Jeter fans could be defensive in any way about this guy. You won. You, you, you've got yeah. the trophy at home. Just go look at it. And, 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 you know, and, and by the way, this leads exactly to this, him not getting voted in unanimously. So he gets voted in one vote shy. The person who voted, uh, did not vote for Derek Jeter. Will I, let me just give this to you right now. will never reveal him or herself himself. It's not her. Uh, will never reveal himself. Uh, you'll never know. And, who cares? I mean, yeah. really, who cares? And and I, you know, it was funny. I was going through uh, some of the old stuff I did, and I did a piece a couple of years ago before Mariano Rivera got in unanimously. I did a piece on the history of of unanimity in the Hall of Fame, and and it was, you know, it's this full long story from the early days when everybody really thought Ty Cobb would go in unanimously and he didn't, all the way through DiMaggio and Musial and and Aaron and Mays and. And none of those people were unanimous and it was ridiculous. And and none of them were really close to unanimous, which is, you know, even more ridiculous. And then you keep going and going and going. And, and you know, finally Mariano Rivera goes in unanimously, which looks really silly now that Jeter didn't go in. I mean, you know, it's, it's Rivera with his 1,200 innings is the only unanimous pick. It's kind of bizarre. But at the end of the day, it really is a who cares. I mean, the, the guys in the Hall of Fame – his plaque is not going to have like they don't put a star on it, and he the one sure probably somebody who didn't like forgot to check his name. I mean, you know, I mean, it's the whole thing is I mean, it probably wasn't even a statement of any kind. It probably was just some sort of foolishness. Who cares? You know? Yeah, 
Yeah, I know. And uh, it is a very funny troll move to not vote for a cheater. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny. I have to you say. Gotta, because um, I, he was interviewed uh, right afterwards and someone asked him about it. And he was like, it's not really anything I'm thinking about, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Sure you are. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Well, especially because Mariano got in last year unanimously. He yeah. got to be thinking about it because of that. Yep. Yeah, of course. Now, I mean, it ultimately... It- if you had done it, would, would I have done it? No, no, if, no, no. I know you wouldn't have, but if you had, as a troll oh. move, would you come forward? Well, that depends on what kind of troll you are, I guess, <laughs> right? Like if you're, if you're, if you did it as a troll move, then you don't like. What's the point? Like if you're Skip Bayless, like right. yeah, you come forward because that's what you want out of it. You, right. you to look at me move, right? There's, there's two versions of it. There's the look at me Skip Bayless move where you do it and you do it because to you you can monetize people screaming at you and calling you an idiot the same way you can monetize people agreeing with you and having your back. So, um, but I, but the BBWAA doesn't, isn't mostly skip Bayless types no, to me. It's, no. it's the more sort of like standing on principle. I don't think anybody should get in unanimously. I'm an old school guy, right. blah, 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 which is why it's kind of interesting that Mariano got in unanimously, but there's a third category. And uh, so it, Th- that those are two options it's look at me or it's standing on principle but the third option is the more interesting one to me which is the um the sort of like strategic voter right. who's saying right. look i only can i can only check off 10 names here and i think uh in theory this person is saying i think sammy Sosa, andrew jones manny ramirez gary sheffield billy wagner Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling, and whoever else deserve to get in. I know Jeter's getting in. Those other guys are in danger of falling off the ballot. Right. So I'm going to, they don't, Jeter doesn't need my vote. These other guys do. So I'm going to vote for them instead, knowing that Jeter's going to get in. And that person may have assumed that like 10 people would do that. Right. Right. Uh, and that he wouldn't be the only person to say no. But it is very funny to imagine the psychology of see that guy, if that's the case that guy seeing the votes come in and it's like, well, Jeter fell one vote shy of unanimity and going, Oh, <laughs> I'm not, I got to take this to the grave because uh, if I come forward, I'm going to be pilloried for the rest of my life. Well, I, I would love to think that the person who did it, did it as a strategic vote to save Andy Pettit from falling off the ballot. Like, like that, <laughs> that's me. That, and then if I had done that, if I really, cause if I, if I had done that, I would clearly be, uh, obsessed with the Yankees in some way, shape or form. But if I had done that, I absolutely would come forward. And you know what I would say? I would say Derek Jeter is the ultimate team player. And I knew he'd want me to do that for Andy. Pitt. Uh, right? Right? That would be great. I have my, the, the, uh, the wild card theory, um, Raul, Raul Abanez, one of your favorite players, uh, got one vote. Yes. And I was, when I saw that, I was like, I wonder if this person is from the Pacific Northwest and was like, there's nine guys I want to vote for, and there's Jeter, and then there's Raul Banez, and I don't care. I'm going to take my Jeter vote and give it to Raul Banez so he doesn't have the ignominy of only receiving zero votes uh, in his first year on the ballot. I, I love it if it's Raul Banez. I'm not as crazy about it if it's J.J. Poots. 
Like, like, <laughs> that, that, or Brad Penny. Like if it's either of those two, that would not impress me as much. But if it was Raul, I'd, I'd be there standing up for that person. I like well, the, well, the, a former the, teammate of Jeter's. Then again, you've got like this whole, there you go. You know, ultimate team, team player. player. Yeah. Team player. The, you could also, maybe that person voted for Jason Giambi, who only got six votes <laughs> because he's a Jeremy Giambi fan and he oh. wanted to just punish oh. Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, whoever it is that did it, if they're listening, use one of these. I mean, really, this is this is gold. Yeah. This is absolutely yeah. gold. All right. I'm going to throw a few Hall of Fame uh, things at you and and look for your response. All right. So here all we right. go. All right. First of all, we have not we've we've talked about Derek Jeter plenty. We have not talked about Larry Walker sort of sort of beating the odds, a 72 vote swing for for uh, Larry Walker. And he is elected at 76.5, 76.6%. Uh, how do you feel? How do you feel about Larry Walker getting into the Hall? I mean, I feel great. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. It's dumb that he wasn't already in the Hall of Fame. I do uh, lament a little bit this new thing that's happening, which is, and it's going to happen again next year with Schilling, where um, people wait until the 10th year of right. eligibility. Right. And then change their vote. Like nothing. The guy has been retired for nine years. He didn't. His stats didn't change. <laughs> so it doesn't quite make sense that suddenly you're like, actually, you know what? I'm going to say that this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. It's it's the same kind of stupidity that leads to people not voting for someone because they just don't think it should ever be unanimous or you shouldn't get in, in your first year of eligibility or right. whatever. Right. But that's what happens when you have this glut of guys from the steroid era who um who you know are filling up the ballot and and you have all of these like you know you have a backlog it's like the 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 baseball hall of fame is very stupid in the way that it goes about its business it's better than the football hall of fame which caps people at five per year which means that there are literally dozens of guys who should be in the football hall of fame who are every year just like getting further and further away at least in baseball they get closer and closer the more years that go by but there's guys like there's guys in the in the NFL who are not in the hall. Poor Drew Pearson oh had God. to sit there, and I mean, what, come on, what are we doing? Like, what, what, like the the weird guardians of the temple thing that happens, especially in the NFL Hall of Fame, of like this is you know we're this elite squadron of people who pass judgment on the past. It's like it's so dumb. It's the Hall of Fame. Like people yeah. want to go and see the players that they love and remember as being great. What are we, why are we capping this at five? Like, and now, and now with all of the records being shattered, I mean, uh, I, we've talked about this before, but you know, p- apparently part of the reason Brady wants to stick around is he wants to basically own every passing record. He's never going to own every passing record no. because Drew Brees is also playing and Drew Brees is ahead of him in a bunch of these things. But, uh, but even if he does, even if Brady plays to at least 45, and Breeze retires and Brady ends up as the all-time yards leader, touchdowns leader, completions leader, blah, 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 leader, whatever. Like, you know, Matt Stafford's going to blow by him in like five years. Like it's just the way, the way that these guys compile, like Jameis Winston had 5,000 yards passing this year. Like I, so what's going to happen in the NFL hall of fame in a couple of years when, when there's, you know, the guys that they're, you know, they're, they're still mulling over Drew Pearson. And then, you know, AJ Green is going to have twice the receiving yards yeah. that he did. Like, yeah. I, it just, I just don't know. I don't know how you maintain that hard cap. It's a, it's also, it also reminds me of what happens, what's happening in TV, which is 
you know, the Emmys was like, you get, there's five people nominated in every category or whatever it is. And that was fine when there were 25 TV shows. There's 550 now. Like why, what are we doing? Like, how are we, how are we limiting this to the same uh, numbers? uh, It's like the, the minimum wage never going up. It's like, yeah, well, $7 an hour meant something in 1972. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything now. It's not a livable wage. So it's the the idea that you don't adjust your standards uh, for for the game changing uh, is bananas too. That's, is. There's a lot of things that are bananas, and that's one of them. Well, and and there's something else about the about the the Hall of Fame that you sort of you touched on when you talked about Drew Pearson. You know, I hear people all the time talking lamenting the uh, you know the 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 standards have dropped. Like that was the big thing with Harold Baines. Harold Baines getting in. Uh, it's all the standards of the Hall of Fame, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, and I know people feel, they think they feel very, very strongly about that. But the truth is, very, 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 very few of these people go to the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, like the Hall of Fame is a little museum in, in New York. It's, it's, a, it's, it's very, very little. And the truth is, if twice as many people went into the Hall of Fame as did now, It'd be fine. It would be fine. Every person they'll put in the Hall of Fame will be the favorite player of thousands and thousands of people, right? I mean, like, you know, as long as as long as the player was a great player at one point, um, people love them. And so, I mean, you're telling me though. So in football, it's it's absurd because what what are you getting out of keeping Drew Pearson out of the Hall of Fame? Like what, like what are you making the hall of fame somehow better because Drew Pearson is not in it? Of course not. And it's sort of the same thing with this where it's like, people are just fighting back and forth. Oh, Walker is Larry Walker. Does he quite reach the level? You know, Larry Walker was a great player. I don't, I don't, this, this idea. I mean, yes, I'm all for standards and I'm all for, for not putting in people that are clearly undeserving of the hall of fame, but none of those people are being talked about. You know, it's we're not like, in danger of that. Right, That's the thing. Right. We're, no we're not in cool. danger of it. No. Like if, if you quibble with Larry Walker, who got in in his 10th and final year right. of eligibility. Right. What you're saying is one of the greatest like, outfield arms of his era yep. and an otherworldly hitter right. who, by the way, hit hit. Yeah, he played in Colorado for nine years, 10 years. He also played in Montreal in that nightmare of a stadium right. and had a 500 slugging percentage every year. Yep. And and tore the cover off the ball. And he, even when he was 37, 38 and playing in St. Louis, he was still a monster hitter. And so like, you're not, we're not, we're not letting in Ramiro Mendoza. Like Like, all of the, the thing, whatever you're worried about, you're quibbling over whether a great player was quite great enough to merit being um, enshrined among the greatest. And the hilarious thing, and I think you wrote about this, is the veterans committee the front door is closed and the back door is wide open exactly. like there's just we 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 we're so hard on these guys in their 10 year eligibility window we're brutal people are brutal in the way that they evaluate the the quote greatness and quote of each individual player and then on the back end the veterans committee is just like Harold Baines yep get him in there like everyone everyone else Ted Simmons get him in there like so it, it really is like Lee Smith 
for 15 years, people were arguing about Lee Smith, just arguing, oh, Lee Smith, yeah, he had the saves record, but now that's broken. And and was he really great or was he good? And just like he did, he played just a long time. And then like the first minute he's eligible on the uh, Veterans Committee, they're like, yep, unanimously, unanimous. He was unanimously yeah. chosen his first year. They didn't even think about it. They're like, of course, Lee Smith is a good player. What's wrong with you guys? And and so that's why this whole thing is is hilarious and silly. This Larry Walker thing was really because Walker tweeted out before the vote that he didn't think he was going to get in. And then, of course, he did. But he didn't he he had he had figured out, you know, I don't know. He had predicted he was going to get seventy three point three percent because the guy's a nut for threes. Like the number three is like his like he's insane about it. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is very weird. And his his prediction was three point three percent short of what it actually was. So there you Fantastic. go. Um, but, but I was like, you know, it's, yes, it's very sad if Larry Walker would not have gotten in because that would have meant he had to wait until the first time he's eligible on the veterans committee when they would have been like, okay, yep, put him in. I mean, it's, it's so, what are we protecting here? Like, what are, what are the guardians protecting when the hall of fame itself is clearly saying our standard is Jack Morris. Our standard is, is Lee Smith. Our standard is Harold Baines. And the hall of fame is like, Oh, is Larry Walker good enough? I don't know. Let's, let's go. You know, it's, it's absurd. It's just absurd. All right. All right. So here's, here's a little, a little, uh, a little stat for you. Um, All right. Every person on the ballot this year. Now there were, there were 28 fewer voters this year. So they, they, they cut off another 28 people. You know, they're, they're trying to get rid of people who have not been covering baseball for a long time, right? They're trying to sort of move away from, from some of those people that don't cover baseball. So 28 fewer voters this year. And yet every single person on the ballot, except for two got more votes this year than they did last year, even with the smaller number, every single person. And most of them, got substantially more votes. Like Scott Rowland got 67 more votes than last year. Gary Sheffield got 63 more votes than last year. Larry Walker, as I mentioned, 72 more votes. Everybody got more votes except Roger Clemens, who got 11 fewer (laughs) votes. Barry Bonds, who got 10 fewer votes. So this isn't going to happen. Those guys are not going to get elected, are they? Yeah, that'll be the actual real test of the Veterans Committee, right? Is right, like, do, right. is the door that wide open? No, it's not. I don't, like, I don't think it is. I think he has less of a chance with the Veterans Committee than he does with with the BBWAA. Right, because you know? that's like a that's a a, a Guardians of the Temple right. thing that right. like maybe doesn't cut their pa- past muster. I, that is fascinating. Um, I you know I don't know what to make of it except that to say that like some of the people who were cut from the ranks this year as voters i mean it would appear that those people were people who were likely to vote for bonds and clemens and not likely to vote for for scott Rowland. and you can you can draw a pretty accurate picture of that kind of voter i would imagine right it's some kind of old hard-nosed guy who's like i don't care what they say yeah roger you know Barry Bonds, the greatest hitter of the generation, blah, blah, blah. And Scott Rowland, I don't I don't like sabermetrics, and I don't care if sabermetrics say that he was the best fielding third baseman of his era, whatever. I mean, you can you can imagine what the mentality is there. I mean, next year, you you brought up another interesting point, I think, which is that it, who's the, is it Tim Hudson is the only like new Mark player Burley, next year? Mark Burley, Tim Hudson, that level of that that kind of player. Like really, really right, good so player, but not not a Hall of Famer. There's no slam dunk next year is the point. There's no no one where it's like Jeter or Mariano that everybody knows is getting in. And so now you're looking at 
the the odd the, the three highest vote getters who didn't get in are Schilling, Clemens, and Bonds. Right. Clemens and Bonds doesn't don't especially going with their vote totals going down doesn't seem like they're going to get in. We're looking at a world next year where the only Hall of Famer is Kurt Schilling. <laughs> you know, here's something interesting somebody pointed out to me because it, it is true. And look, and I don't know, like usually you get 70% and you're on your last year, you're in. I mean, that you're, you're going to get in. I don't know 100% if, if how persuadable the anti-Schilling people are. Like, I, I don't know the answer. Right. But let's say he does get in. Somebody brought up a really good point. Next year, they are reopening the door for uh, Negro Leagues uh, people, uh, among others. And it's it's like, a, you know, they're doing the old timer. You know, it's, it's you know, they do that on a rotation, what mm-hmm. era they choose from. So next year, I believe people like Buck O'Neill are going to be eligible to go into the Hall of Fame. And I was just thinking what it would be like if like the people, like the two people who go in are Kurt Schilling and Buck O'Neill, like the, like, don't you think there's like a beautiful sort of yin and yang about that? Like how that would go. I mean, I'm, that is really wonderful to think about. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's almost like you need like the, it's like, like they need somebody for sure. And it could be Buck. You could be there. There are plenty of other options, but it's like, you need like a, like, like, what do they call like when you get like a little bit of gelato or, or a little bit of, you know, it's like a little, a little cleanser, a, a little, amuse, a little amuse bouche or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little palate cleanser. You're going to need some serious palate cleansing if, if Kurt Schilling gets elected next year, uh, which I, you know, I think you'd have to say the odds are pretty good that he will be right. I mean, it feels like I, I, it, it is, it is a, it is more, certainly more of a wild card than the typical 70% with one year left kind of a guy who knows. I mean, what is that guy's speech if he gets in? What is he? What does he? What does he say? But, I mean, but here's the thing with with Kurt because he's such an odd person, and you know, who knows? Like he might go up there. Remember what the speech he gave after after uh, after nine eleven, where he talked about yeah, it was the like the article he wrote an article that maybe that's yeah, what you're talking about, right? Right, yeah. right, 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 and and it was this. It was like all about like the diversity of New York and 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 people of all creeds and all religions coming together, and it was like this like really fitting the moment kind of thing from Kurt Schilling, you know, and then and, and and exactly the the opposite is what he's fought for ever since. But but it's so I don't know that you could count out Kurt Schilling rising to the moment. I mean, he loves baseball, he loves Lou Gehrig, he loves like the history of the game. I'm not saying he wouldn't go up there and just go absolutely, you know, Mussolini. I, he absolutely might. But there is a part of me that thinks that, like, he he is in enough control and, and has enough respect for the game that he might surprise you. Yeah, uh, maybe. Or, he, or he'll wear a T-shirt that says tree rope <laughs> right, journalists, right, whatever, right. you know. Like, you, Mussolini thing is absolutely possible. Like he absolutely yeah. might go up there. He might he might even like learn Italian just to do it, like purely like Mussolini. Um, yeah, or maybe he'll take off his shoe and bang it on the podium like Khrushchev <laughs> at the UN and scream about, you know, conspiracy theories and nonsense. I, I, it's Nothing is impossible. Nothing yeah. is impossible with this guy. All right. One other <laughs> thing I want to bring up. I mean, you know, we there's there's a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of people made progress. But the, the one I want to bring up is because I think this is going to be the big sort of Hall of Fame topic over the next few years, especially when when Schilling and, and Clemens and Bonds are off the ballot. So there, there are two guys 
Omar Vizquel and Scott Rowland, who, you know, pretty much, you know, pretty much came on the ballot at about the same time, uh, both infielders, both, you know, both excellent players with, with huge, huge support in the public balloting. Um, they got almost exactly the same support. So we're talking about the public balloting that Ryan Thibodeau does over at, uh, at, uh, BBHOF. Um, it's, uh, he keeps a sheet, a spreadsheet, and he got like about 200, 220 of the voters. And in those votes, actually got 219. And in those, 105 publicly uh, voted for Scott Rowland and 108 publicly voted for Omar Vizquel. So almost identical, really, uh, which is, which is you know, very interesting. In the private voting, however, there were 178 private votes. In the private voting, um, Omar Vizquel got more than 50% of the vote, 52.25% of the vote. And Scott Rowland got less than 20% of the vote. They're almost a 60 vote difference in the 178 votes. So my question to you is what the heck is going on with those two guys? Well, who knows? I mean, again, if you're trying to put together the psychology of the voter, you're saying, you know, Roland was Roland is a, um, of an excellent hitter who was an otherworldly defensive third baseman and defensive third baseman are just not thought of the way that defensive shortstops are like that, that stigma of like, well, he played, sure. He was good defensively, but he played third. Right. Is that's still a thing, which is very weird. And so I guess you're saying that like the people who are public are more sabermetrically inclined potentially, or more interested in, you know, defensive fielding metrics flawed though they may be. And they're saying, look, why Scott Rowland's a slam dunk. Like the guy, the guy could rake and he he was sort of like Nolan Arenado before Nolan Arenado. Yeah. I think Arenado ultimately is gonna have a better career because he he's just a he's, he's just a he's, maniac. Yeah, and he's already doing it, you know, more consistently than Roland did. Yeah. I mean, granted, playing in Colorado, Colorado whatever, yeah. but like Roland Roland was that kind of guy. He was well, a big, absolutely. strong guy yeah. who could mash the ball and he was incredibly good defensively. So good defensively. So like I maybe I get I guess it's just people undervaluing that it's I, it's I mean trying to guess the the motives of the of the voters in the baseball Hall of Fame is a fool's errand and I have no idea how to make sense of it I mean Vizquel is basically to me it's like it's the Ozzie Smith thing it's like the guy right. couldn't hit um, you know he he had twenty eight hundred and seventy seven hits over his twenty four year <laughs> career it's the ultimate <laughs> chipping away uh, thing and he fell you know a you know. 15 more hits a year, 10 more hits a year. And the guy has 3000 hits and he probably automatically gets in. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's your, that the vote for Vizquel is the vote for defensive wizardry at a position where people, the only position really where people value defense as highly as they value offense. Um, in the, in the, in when you evaluate a guy's career, nobody cares about third base defense. No. The only, there's one person in history who essentially got in for third base defense and that's Brooks Robinson. And he played in a bunch of high profile world series and won at least one, right? He, they won in the, the, whatever it was. Well, he had the, he had the incredible world series against the reds where he was MVP. He he also won an MVP award with some power. I mean, it's, but you're right. I mean, defense was, was certainly his calling card and certainly what got him in. The thing that that blows my mind about Vizquel is exactly what you said. It's the Ozzie Smith argument. But Vizquel was not as good a fielder or as good a hitter as as Ozzie Smith, and and so 
you know, I know people love to bash war, but what one thing that war does, and you can, you know, what I like to do with war is look at the, at the specifics of war. And if I disagree with it for whatever reason, I just add, you know, because like the idea of adding base running defense position, uh, hitting, you know, adding all those things together is, is uh, to me a, a very sound way of looking at a player. So if I think Omar Vizquel is underrated defensively by the numbers, uh, just add a bunch of runs to his defense. Uh, if I think he's underrated as a hitter, it's a it's a much tougher argument to make, I think. But you know, add a hundred runs to his to his total. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. You can add and add and add all you want. You know, as long as you keep it realistic, he was not as good a player as Scott Rowland, and so. I, you know, I, I do get it. I do understand. I loved Omar Vizquel and you know, who, who didn't love watching him make all those barehanded plays and doing all the cool things that he did. And, and, you know, he played for my team that I, the team I loved growing up and all of that. I, I love the guy, but I don't see it's to me, it's Bly Levin Morris. It's, it's the same thing. I just, the argument you can make about Vizquel is he lasted longer that Roland got hurt too much and didn't have as much playing time. Only had 8,000 plate appearances. And that's fine, but you cannot tell me that Omar Vizquel was as good a player as Scott Rowland. He just wasn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I again, Vizquel gets into the Hall of Fame. I kind of shrug and go, all right. Right. No, and, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Fine. Millions <laughs> of people will be happy if he gets into the Hall of Fame. Literally, more yeah. than a million people will be thrilled. And so that's – I don't think we should be arguing about either. I'm a big Hall guy. So, I mean, to me, it's like, hey – Somebody who's a really, really good player, put him in the Hall of Fame. Why not? There's, it's, it's not like, a, it's not like a, a magazine where you're like, yeah, we got to cut that story. I mean, they'll, they'll find wall space. I, I, I really do believe that we fight over things. And by the way, Vizquel for sure. Like, I don't know how long we'll fight about Vizquel. The second Vizquel becomes goes to the Veterans Committee, they're putting him in the Hall of Fame. They're, they're oh, not, no question. They won't even wait. <laughs> he's Vizquel is in some ways. Vizquel is like the king of the anecdote. Yes, because when you when people talk about Vizquel, what they actually talk about is like, I once saw him, right. you know, right. in a, on a sunny day, go back to his right on a pop fly and catch the ball looking back over his right. shoulder to shield himself from the sun. Or they'll say, you know, warming up, uh, you know, Vizquel used to do this thing where he would catch the ball and transfer the ball to his hand so fast you couldn't even see right. the transfer right. or whatever. It's a, that's that's the way that people talk about that guy. And so, yeah, like that's prime, that's red meat for the veterans committee right there. Like that's, that's and, total, and, uh, that's total catnip. And I got to say, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting people in the hall of fame who like, man, I don't know if his numbers quite add up, but I've got so many memories of that guy, you know what I mean? Well, again, like it, it bears repeating. If the point of the hall of fame is to tell the story of baseball, um, and its history and the players who played it, like a guy who is as brilliant defensively as Omar Vizquel, like sure. Like it, there shouldn't, sure. that's why the, that's why the benchmark things are kind of dumb to me because you don't tell the story of baseball by guys hit certain numbers. And then right. that's a rubber stamp. You tell it by saying, look, this guy didn't hit any home runs. <laughs> uh, he had, he, you know, he, he was in at, he played the toughest position to play and he did it as well as anyone. Um, and you know, the, he had these br kind of brilliant moments. He was on those late nineties Indians teams that should have won a world series and right. didn't, but he was, you know, he hit second in, in my memory. He hit second in that crazy 
99 team that Kenny Lofton, you know, uh, uh, Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomei, that crazy lineup that scored a thousand yeah. runs. He was in the middle of that. Like he had a couple of years where he was, you know, a, a, a valuable cog in that offense. Absolutely. So like, you know, yeah. Tell the story of baseball, get Omar versus Kellen to the hall of fame. That's totally fine. Like, <laughs> I don't think there's a problem with that. No, no, no. There should not be a problem with that at all. Unless you believe as we do, well, certainly as you do that there's no room in there for Derek Jeter. I mean, get, come on. Come on. Well, that's the thing. Can you tell the story of baseball without Derek Jeter? Absolutely. Oh, watch you watch me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk Super Bowl real quick before we go to the draft. Um, so we got the Chiefs and the 49ers, which I think at the end of the day might have been the best Super Bowl we could have gotten. Yeah. Year, right? I mean, 100%, maybe you 100%. could argue the Ravens just because Lamar Jackson's so good, but frankly, I mean, just watching them get steamrolled in that in that Titans game, it's like, come on, all right, never mind. Um, yeah, I think this is a pretty cool Super Bowl, and and I've not said that in a long time, but I think this is like a this is like you got two pretty new teams. I mean, the 49ers have obviously been there uh, in different uh, forms, but this is a completely new 49ers team. This Chiefs team, I mean, they're going crazy in Kansas City as they should. It's been fifty years since the Chiefs were there. Patrick Mahomes is just about the coolest thing going in sports. I mean, awesome, right? I think so. I mean, look, Lamar Jackson's the coolest thing in the sport. Yeah. Um, because he's the guy who... He's just doing things that haven't been done. He, he just is like... it's. I, I, I said this recently to someone, but like, I love it when you are a fan of a sport that contains the world's most elite athletes. And then an athlete shows up who's so much more elite than everybody else that they all look like they're terrible. Yes. And then (laughs) like watching Lamar Jackson was that it was at times this year, it was like, I don't understand (laughs) how he is making the other best players in the world look like they're standing in cement. It is remarkable. It is. Um, But, but Patrick Mahomes is the second coolest thing in the sport. Yeah. And that, offense is way more fun because the Ravens offense is just Lamar Jackson and the, and the chiefs offense is like everyone. It looks like they've got 50 wide receivers on the field at all times. And he's, he does things with his arm that Lamar Jackson can't do, which, which is more frankly to me, more fun than watching guys do things with their feet that no one else can do because when he drops back to pass, literally anything is possible. (laughs) Like the, the craziest whatever you can most crazily imagine guys in that offense get open in a way that no one in the NFL gets open. It's absurd. Yeah. Like it's like you're, when you watch college football and you watch, you know uh, like some sec team with, you know, the six of the top 10 (laughs) top recruits and at receiver uh, in a single class. And then they play, you know, some middling team, uh, and they, you know, the guy drops back to pass. He throws the ball downfield. The receiver's open by 28 yards. And it's like, it's like, oh God, this is embarrassing. But that doesn't happen in the pros. It never happens unless there's a complete miscommunication or blown coverage. But they don't need blown coverages to get that open. Those, those receivers are ridiculous. And so ultimately, I think for the Super Bowl, what you want, you want the opposite of what the Patriots and Rams gave you last year, the 13 to three grind that right. out right. miserable slog fest. What you want is I want, uh, I want 48, 45. Like right. I, I, I think that's the way that the Super Bowl is the most entertaining. Now that 49er defense is so good. Excellent. I fear that we are headed for 
the Patriots Giants version of this where the the really great offense is held to 17 points and the defense kind of grinds you down and it's 2017 uh, or whatever, 1714 or something. But what I'm hoping for is not is the opposite of um, the the 49ers Packers game in terms yeah. of like, well, we have a, we've just determined that there's a flaw in the Packers defense, and that's if we hand the ball to our running back, no one can stop him. And Jimmy Garoppolo throws eight passes and <laughs> has you know 82 yeah. yards or whatever. Right. Like right. that, that's not what you want out of the Super Bowl. Like you want crazy fireworks and and wild. I thought that the the even being a Patriots fan, I was so bummed out uh, last year when you had that Chiefs Rams game that was 54 51 or whatever. Wasn't that, wasn't there, there was some crazy game that was, uh, that, that the Chiefs and Rams played on, on like right. a Monday night. Right. And I was like, well, that's the Super Bowl. Just yeah. give me that for the Super Bowl. Like inject it right into my veins, as the kids say. <laughs> and I think that the Patriots beating the Chiefs robbed america of that potential and i hope that they get it this year i hope we get a banana super bowl this is the third time i've used the word bananas <laughs> i'm trying not to curse so i'm just saying bananas instead of what i want to say um i hope we get a, a banana super bowl that has like where where like patrick mahomes has 548 yards passing and eight touchdowns like that would be really fun because we haven't had that in a long time like not since the days of the like Steve Young 49ers or whatever. Right. But you know, it was one sided, right? But yes. Like, yeah. But w- yeah, you want it to be an even and high scoring game. That would be the most fun to me. I agree. Well, what I love about this Super Bowl is, I, I mean, I think the Chiefs have the best offense in the NFL. And I think the 49ers probably have the best defense in the NFL. And, and I think the, it's not just a matter of, oh, let's see who's better or whatever. It's a matter of, Let's find out how good the Chiefs offense is and let's find out how good the 49ers defense is, right? Because if one of those somehow takes the game, that just shows you because I I, I, I don't see how you stop that Chiefs offense. I really don't. Exactly for all the same reasons that, that you say. It's not just the receivers are running wide open all the time. It is that that Patrick Mahomes has this otherworldly vision that he, he just finds – receivers open he just he throws them open and he finds them open and he's so dynamic and i mean it's i don't see how you stop that that offense but and he he throws sidearm and he throws underhanded and he throws left-handed and and he throws behind his back and then what about that run last week where he just decided like oh i can do that too i can be lamar jackson if i want to be i mean it's just like it's so he can do anything which is so exciting and fun to watch and then, but honestly, watching that 49ers defense the last two weeks, they first of all, they bore me to tears because they're so good. You can't do anything against that against that defense. I mean, certainly not with the game on the line. I mean, later, you know, the the Packers were able to throw a couple of, you know, nonsense touchdown passes, but but that defense is so good. And I I love that. I love that matchup. And I don't think I think the Chiefs defense is pretty good, but not real good. Uh, I think the 49ers offense is pretty good, um, but not real good. So I, this feels to me like this could be a, an absolute blast. I mean, it really I just, the, the bummer to me, though, is 
in the Super Bowl matchups where you have a otherworldly offense against a great defense, defense wins, and the much. defense wins, yeah, which yeah. it usually does. Yeah. That's the bummer to me because you. What's the point of having the best offense in the Super Bowl if they don't put up fifty points? Like right, that's right. that's what I that's what I'm afraid of. Like, and that doesn't mean it won't be a close game and a and a tight game, and it might be fun if it's fourteen to ten and Mahomes has the ball with two minutes left on his own twenty. Right. But I just, it's kind of, it's just like a, I hate, I don't, I don't have any patience for the defensive slog. I just don't like, I don't, it's not what, uh, you know, in my now more casual football fandom, it's way more fun to me to watch a game that had that where each team is in the thirties or forties than it is where it's, it's 10 to seven heading into the third. Like I, I just, I want, I, I hope that the chiefs solve the 49ers defense and I hope that the that the 49ers offense um plays up to the its highest possible level and we just get it we get a shootout because I think that would be more fun, frankly, I, than the defensive I, struggle. And I really do think it's possible because the one thing that you've seen with the Chiefs the last two weeks is they've gotten off to horrendous starts, right? Absolutely horrendous starts. They're down 24 nothing and one, and they were down what, 14 nothing, 10 nothing, and the other, whatever it was. And and then it's like, oh, okay, fine. And then they just go on this crazy Harlem Globetrotters, you know, like little run and and it's just jaw dropping. I, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, we'll make our predictions, but uh, I don't think anybody's stopping that Chiefs offense. I really don't. Yeah, you know? I hope not. Yeah. I hope I hope that you're right. Because yeah. uh, like I said, I think Mahomes is the is like one a for coolest thing in the sport. He's such a joy. He's such a joy. We need, that's the other thing, you know, knowing the time that we're in, we'll get some terrible Super Bowl, right? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it'd be like, Oh, seven. It's what we deserve. Oh, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all we can handle in the, in the moment that we're in. All right. So who is your prediction? What is your pick? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the chiefs and I'll take them like, uh, you know, every time this is what's so funny about the prediction game. Uh, Dan Lebetard, uh, of whom I'm a huge fan, is f- sure. very fond of pointing out how little, how how wrong everyone is oh, all the time. Like, ridiculous. Uh, pundits, if the, if pundits, professional pickers have like a fifty percent success rate. If they basically are the same as a coin flip, they're um, they're lauded for their <laughs> for their excellence. Um, and the and when it comes to the Super Bowl, this is what you always see. You always see. Every prediction for every Super Bowl score every year is somebody takes a team and they take them by three right. and it's always 27, 24 right. or like <laughs> something. It's like people are so scared. No one wants to predict the blowout. Right. And so every single prediction is like 28, 24, 27, oh, yeah. 20, 23, 20, 28, 25. Yeah. So I'm going to eschew that boring prediction and i'll take the chiefs in a crazy blowout i'm gonna say it's the chiefs like 41 17 <laughs> i like it i yeah. like you know why people do that in addition to being scared and all that is they want to be able to say to all those fans who yell at them no man and all i'm saying is it could, it's going to turn on a like well like a, a turnover or a pen like if you guys get it you guys could win and you know what i'm gonna go with you i'm gonna go chiefs uh yeah, I mean, I think Chiefs convincingly. I mean, I but I, I know that sounds like I'm underrating the the 49ers, but this just feels to me like the Chiefs' year. So I'll go Chiefs 34, 19. Well, actually, what would be a good oh, like we got to pick a scoreigami. We got to pick a scoregami. That's, That's what we got to pick. <laughs> we got to pick All a right. scoregami. So what? Where? Where is the list of scoregamis? 
All right, well, well, let's move on. I'm going to call up the Scorigami <laughs> list. We're going to revise our picks so that we each are picking a Scorigami. All right, we definitely have to pick a Scorigami. All right, our draft this week, perfectly suited for the Super Bowl, uh, which will be next week, and we will not be doing another one of these before then, uh, is uh, we are drafting NFL's worst rules, uh, which is an unlimited supply of joy, uh, but we are picking the worst rules in the National Football League, and I am pretty certain that you have the first pick. All right, but real quick, do you want to do this? I got the scorigami right, up, so do you want to do you want to yeah. do our picks first? Yes. Yeah. All right. So what did I? I said forty-one seventeen. Yep. All right. So forty-six seventeen is a scorigami. <laughs> so I'm going to go Chiefs forty-six seventeen. All right. I want and the you highest. Said what? You, well, I want the highest Chiefs score with the uh, with the. Um, uh, 49ers scoring 19. 19. Okay, so 32-19 would be a score. 39-19, 40-19. I said 34-19. Yeah. Well, 34 was my original. So 32-19. I like that. 32-19. Yes. Scorigami. How do you score 32? <laughs> I don't know. And I'm going 46-17. I like it. 32-19 is four touchdowns and two safeties. That's what I'm calling <laughs> Uh, if, uh, uh, if we get a Super Bowl scorigami, we have to have an emergency podcast. Oh yeah. We will, we will have a half hour emergency podcast where we literally <laughs> talk about nothing but scorigami and we're going to have Brandon McCarthy as our guest. On yes. That. Brandon, Brandon is such a hater. Brandon is a <laughs> hater of scorigami. He it's so much so that he legitimately doesn't think that we actually care about it. His, <laughs> his texts to us are like, you guys don't really care about this. This is fake. <laughs> This is, you don't, this is performative. You don't really, and I don't, I don't understand why he thinks that. Like, it's very clear that our passion for Scorigami is real. real. Absolutely. I don't, yeah. I, it's almost like he can't fathom anybody caring as much about Scorigami as we do. Uh, but we do. So, so we are rooting for a Super Bowl Scorigami, and then we will have an emergency podcast with Brandon so we can, we can talk to him about how awesome it is. <laughs> 38 18 is also a Scorigami. That's, that seems doable. That does seem doable. By the way, mm-hmm. is there a secondary scorigami? Like, like, is there like it should be fairly easy, even though there have been uh, you know fifty four of these or whatever, to hit a Super Bowl scorigami. I mean, like, is that if if we can't get a real scorigami, is the Super Bowl scorigami still okay? I don't. Uh, I don't. I'm. Sh- I mean, the super, there must be a million Super Bowls. There's only been fifty three Super That's Bowls. Like everything's yeah, yeah. a Super Bowl scorigami. Well, By the way, if every- you're rooting for. If you're rooting for a scorigami, what you really want is for the losing team to have 11 because um, like there are very, very few games that have ended in 11, like oh. 22, 11, 25, 11, 29, 31, 32, 33, 36, 37, 38, 39. Like the, every 11 is, it seems to me, the least common losing score, okay. so 11 you, and eight, really. So what you want is to go for two on your first touchdown and then you're a field goal away from, from a potential scorigami. Or you want it to be, you want it to be the, the like their first drive, they kick a field goal and then the other team gets to a score where it, then the first team scores a touchdown and it makes sense to go for two. Right. Like you want it to be, right. you want it to be 14, three in the third. <laughs> right. right. And then they get a touchdown, they go for two and convert. So it's 14, 11. And then you want the other team to then go on a crazy run and get to into the, into the thirties or forties. And then you're home free. <laughs> We, we, we will, our, our, our series, seven ways to get a scorigami will be coming out soon. So, um, all right. And where's the NFL rules and you have the first pick. Okay. Uh, 
worst NFL rules is a great category because every rule in the NFL is terrible. They're all terrible. Um, every they're one. all they're all nightmares. Um, <laughs> but uh, I and I and I really um, I really struggled with this. But I, I the first the first thing isn't really a rule so much as it is a scenario. Okay. Um, there is a there, so basically you know they've tinkered with the turnover rules and and all this stuff so many times but they now basically have this situation where uh, on a, on a let's say the running back goes into the line and appears to fumble and the other team picks up the fumble and runs it back for a touchdown right it's fumbles are reviewable obviously but if the play is blown dead then the result of the fumble is nullified right like the team right. The guy can't have the, they won't count the touchdown because the play was blown dead. Right. Um, so they will review the fumble, and if they rule that it was a fumble, that the the team that picked up the defensive team that picked up the fumble gets the ball at the spot of the or the recovery. If that's the way you're going to do this, <laughs> NFL, never blow the play dead <laughs> because why in the world would you do something that could that could basically like change the course of the game so easily. Right. It's like, if, if that's the, if the burden of proof is on the blown dead whistle, then don't ever use the whistle. If there's any doubt in your mind, a smither, a smithering of a doubt about whether or not it was a fumble, just let the play play out. And then you're, you're going to review it anyway. So if, if the guy didn't fumble, then who cares? But if he did fumble, and the guy picked up the ball and ran it in for a touchdown, then the t- that team should get a touchdown. And yep. they have this insane rule that basically that like if the whistle blew, then plays dead. So don't blow the play dead. It drives me up the wall because it's like, it's like why should soccer? Yeah. Yes. Why should the defensive team be punished? Because you in the moment made the wrong decision. That doesn't make any sense. So if they want to leave it that that way, the referee should be trained. Basically, if you see the ball on the ground, let the play play out. Yeah. Just let it play out because you're going to review it anyway. Every turnover is reviewed. So <laughs> so I that's that makes zero sense to me. Like, I just don't understand. Let them play through the time the guy's either tackled or he scores and then review the play like you were going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, especially if you're going to review every single play, which it leads to my... Uh, first, number one uh, worst rule, which is uh, reviewing penalties. So uh, you and I have had this this long conversation many, many times on this podcast and off it about how much I don't like instant replay in sports and how I, you know, I've, I've adjusted to it. It's part of life. It's a part of the games, every game now. And, you know, it's it's it is what it is. It's fine. But. This idea, basically because the referees could not have blown one pass interference call more than they did, they're now making everything reviewable. Basically, every single penalty is reviewable, which is absurd in on so many levels. So now you could just challenge any penalty, which is which is crazy. Secondly, it's crazy because they don't even overturn penalties. Because you know, at least for a long time they didn't, because they were embarrassed that they made the wrong call in the first place. But third, and this is this happened in one of those weekend games, and it just drove me nuts. You can now challenge like a penalty review 
Like you, you don't, it's not even have to be called. You could say, Oh, I think there was offensive pass interference on that there. And you can review it. And then you get to review the whole play. Like, like, yeah. like, it, like it doesn't even matter. Like, I believe it was in the 49ers game and I believe they reviewed, they called a review for an offensive pass interference, which there was not even a sign of offensive pass interference. But then they got they the review was successful because they said they spotted the ball too far down the field. So now apparently you can just like it's like rewriting history. It's like just look, just review that whole play. If you see any penalties in there or any mistakes you guys made, you know, we we just want sort of a mass appeal. My God, just play football. Can we just have a game that flows in any way, shape or form? It drives me absolutely insane. Yeah, I am a defender of replay, but I yeah. even I have to say that like if you just go, yeah, review that whole play. I don't know what you're looking for. Just review everything. Just look at it all. Because the the reality is, on every play, every there play. are seven penalties committed. <laughs> so every like, single play. You know, we we've railed very frequently on this very podcast about uh, the chains and how right. dumb the chains are. And um, I there's a new aspect of the chains. I tweeted about this the other night, which is. The ball, the runner went down like maybe a yard from the out of bounds marker and the side or 10 yards. The side judge runs in, plants his foot somewhat randomly near where he thinks the ball right. was. Then he then the guy then the runner flips the ball to him. He flips the ball 20 yards underhanded oh, yeah. to the back judge who's right. coming in. And then he flips the ball to the referee who's right. at the line of scrimmage, who then places the ball somewhat randomly, roughly equivalent to where the guy's foot is 50 yards away from him. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, that's and you have to just you have to accept that baseball is a, is a game of precision right. and uh, and specificity. It is actually a game of inches. Football is a blunt instrument game. It's exactly a, it's right. brute force and blunt measurements and 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 kind of just like make it just do what you got to do, man. <laughs> and like you know, they they call holding once or twice a game on right. each team or right. three times a game. There's holding on every play. They play illegal downfield runner downfield, whatever, once right. or twice a game. There's it happens every play. Right. And so the, the the problem with all of these rules is where this blunt game meets preci- the precision of rule definitions. Yes. And it, it's like that. I mean, I'm not saying anything anybody hasn't said before, but like the 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 hilarity of watching the main part of the game play out in this very crude, poorly measured way, and then the kind of meticulous uh, analysis of an of like a bang bang, you know, uh, defensive player contacting a offensive player at the moment is it eight centimeters before the ball hits the guy's hands or six? That's where all of this stuff kind of falls apart, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah. and and I don't know what the answer is because you have to have penalties. You have to have defensive pass interference. Sure. I mean, there were all those articles written about the Legion of Boom, the Seahawks defensive a few years ago, where basically there they were like, there's a loophole here. And the loophole is human. The human brain won't allow uh, referees to call penalties on every play. So we're going to commit a penalty on every play and just <laughs> dare them to call it. <laughs> like, so their cornerbacks and their safeties just were all over everyone all the time. And they got called a normal amount. And then the rest of the time they, the receivers couldn't catch the ball and they got away with it. So, uh, but that's one thing. The other thing is when you do these reviews and it's like, we're just going to like, as a, we're going to take a panoptical view of the entire field. And even though 
you didn't you weren't challenging whether there was illegal contact. We're just saying, oh, look, we found illegal contact because right. that that shouldn't happen. So, um, anyway. Um, all right. My second rule <clears throat> is uh, one that I truly hate. I understand it in theory, I guess, but I truly hate it. And that's that when you fumble the ball through the end zone, it's the other team gets the ball at, at their 20. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so, so the, the, the dumbness of football rules is multivarious. Uh, they're dumb in a lot of different, there's a wide range of ways that they're dumb. But to me, you're now, you're now saying, okay, if the runner is heading for the corner for the pylon, and he fumbles the ball, and the ball goes out of bounds at the one-inch line. Yeah, you, the offense, gets the ball at the one-inch line. Right. However, if it moves six inches further and then goes out of bounds, the other team gets the ball at the twenty. The yeah. disparity in what that means uh, for the two teams, and the and again in a blunt, crude, uh, crudely measured game, the idea that you could that that tiny bit of difference has that effect it's crazy you've got to be kidding me like yes. that it, that is so crazy and it's like look if you want to punish the team the offensive team for fumbling the ball through the end zone that's fine if you care i don't know why you care but if you care <laughs> just make call it a 10 yard penalty move them right. back to the 10 and right. then they've been punished they were within an, uh, a foot or two of the end zone they fumble the ball through the end zone and it's a call it a 10 yard penalty and put them back at the 10 but the idea of changing possession on that is so crazy. And, you know, famously in the in that Patriots-Broncos uh, playoff game from all those years ago, when Brady threw the interception to Champ Bailey in the end zone and he ran it back 100 yards and yeah. Ben Watson chased him down, <laughs> uh, he knocked the ball out and Champ Bailey fumbled through the end zone and they didn't review it because there was no review at the time, I think. And, uh, all right, touchdown. Like, game-changing. Like, it, there were... Throwing a pick in the in the red zone, that's a hundred percent on Brady. But now you're like, well, now there's a way that they could also go go back the other way at the twenty. Like it just it it's so bananas. I'm gonna keep using that word. It's so yeah. bananas that uh, that it, it is to me that is the most inexplicable rule. the The idea of punishing an offensive team for that offense so severely, loss of possession, other team gets the ball twenty yards from where you fumbled it. That doesn't make any sense. No, it's it's incredibly dumb. And I think that's going to be a, a quick theme of mine as well. It's like some of these rules that I'm that I'm going to pick are not even they're not they're not that infuriating. I just don't get the consistency of it at all. And it's it is like the rule book was was invented by, you know, I mean, which it is. I mean, it's it's the it's invented by committee. Right. So it is. So it, it is all of these all of these crazy things that do not in any way, shape or form match up. But that one is so dumb. I mean, you have to review a play. There was that one play with, was it the Raiders, maybe Raiders Cowboys game where a uh, quarterback of the Raiders like leaned over and, and tried to put the ball in the end zone and he dropped it and the ball landed out of bounds, but it landed out of bounds in the end zone. Um, and and so they called it, you know, a twenty yard touchback, and and there were so many things wrong with that. You're like, well, wait a minute, the ball was in the air in fair 
you know, but I mean, like it, like it landed out of bounds. It never was in the end zone. It landed, right. you know, out of bounds. So why does that count? Is it, are we like it's soccer now where the, that line goes directly up forever? And, and I, I, none of it, none of it made sense. And it only meant the difference between getting the ball at the one inch line and getting the ball in the end and giving the ball to the other team. Like that yeah. difference is so absurd. So totally with you on that one. All right. My second pick um, is uh, there, there, I have so many of them, but the, you know what? You mentioned it, so I'll mention it as well. All of the defensive back uh, penalties drive me insane, but number one on the list is illegal contact. So illegal contact is you're not allowed to essentially touch the receiver after five yards, right? You're not allowed to like block them. You're not allowed to 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 keep them from running forward. You're not allowed to. This happens not only on every play, it happens to every single receiver. I've never seen a play where the defensive back didn't touch, have his hands on, push the guy after five yards. It happens on every single play. That's and right. yet they almost never call it. Almost never. Because if usually if you see uh, a penalty called, it's usually pass interference or holding. They'll call holding. What is the difference between holding and illegal contact? I don't even know. Like, oh, you held him. But that's also illegal contact, right? I mean, isn't like if if you're not allowed to touch the guy after five yards, you're certainly not allowed to hold him. But but that that big in the Venn diagram, holding is also in the same circle as illegal contact. So I don't know what illegal contact is for, and I also don't know how they choose to to call it. Like it's it is that is one like there's probably holding on every play, but probably not by every single offensive lineman, right? Like there's usually one guy who got beat and, and was, was holding in some form or fashion, but I've never seen a receiver not get touched after five yards ever. No, the every single defensive back and linebacker covering every single receiver touches every <laughs> touches those receivers on every single play on every single yeah. play. So I, it's, so that one to me just strikes me as the, like it's it's the dumbest rule because I don't know why it's on the books. And then when they call it, you're just like, why? Like what? I think that this is what I. If you're looking to fix this, you could subsume all of those defensive penalties, illegal contact, defensive holding, and pass interference into one category. Yeah, and you could call it like impeding the receiver, right? right? So basically, like you can put your hands on him, you can mark him, right. and sort of right. hand check him. But if you don't knock him off his route or prohibit him from moving in the direction he's been moving, that's okay. And if you do, it's impeding the receiver and then you're penalized. Right. But the, it- the, cra- the craziest thing, and this I might as well make this my third pick because it's related. The craziest thing to me about all of these is their automatic first downs. Yes. Like that. So <laughs> it's third and 22 from the team's, uh, you know, the offense's 11 yard line. And they throw a six-yard crossing pattern to just try to get a little more yardage for their punter, and they call illegal contact on that six-yard route, yep. and it's a first down? first down? How is that possible? The the play, were it complete, would have been a maximum gain of six to ten yards. Yes. And yet, the, it's this all those rules meant to obviously help the offense and improve, improve scoring and all that sort of stuff. Like if you like illegal contact should not be an automatic first down. Defensive holding shouldn't necessarily be a first down. Like nope. if it, nope. it, it, if you, if you, fine. If you want to help scoring, I get it. But you got to wrap all of those penalties into one penalty, 
and because I, it's my, my other least favorite thing. And I'll make this, this is a tie for three for me. It's a, it's the same thing. Offsides encroachment and a neutral zone infraction yes. are, are all, are all things you can call. And I get it. It's like, look, you're encroachment. If you come across the line, whatever it is before the ball is or neutral zone infraction is before the ball is snapped. Encroachment is uh, offsides is lining up offsides. This is that blah, blah, blah. Those are all dumb, but they're all the same thing. And and also, and also we've now lost because of the unimpeded to the quarterback thing. We've lost one of the most exciting plays. Right. You have a free play. Free play, yes, yeah. and so they they've they've legislated this exciting thing out where the guy the quarterback does the hard count, the guy jumps, then the ball is snapped, and the guy the defensive player is trying to get back but is caught, and then Aaron Rodgers is like, well, here we go, I'm gonna throw this ball as far as I can, and that is now gone because they're so concerned about the unimpeded to the quarterback thing that they they have a trigger happy whistle and they just blow it dead immediately. And so those two, those the combo platter there, where offsides, encroachment, and neutral zone infractions are all somehow different, is just annoying. And then also they have made it so that you don't have, the offense doesn't even really benefit. They get five yards, fine, but if you really want to increase scoring, don't blow the play dead. Let them let the let the quarterback play. If the look, if the guy if the defensive end jumps and he's actually running unimpeded to the quarterback, okay, fine, blow it right. dead. But if the guy just just a little jump and then he's trying to get back, like let it play out and let's let's get the fun of the sixty yard like let it fly play, right? right? Like why right. not? Totally agree. Totally agree. You know what they ought to do <clears throat> from your first point? They ought to do it where it's only an automatic first down if the receiver is past the the first down marker, right? And and you can keep it as a five yard penalty. I'm not saying make it a spot of foul play, but. Like if you get a, if, if like exactly what you happened, which also happened over the weekend where it was third and 22 or whatever, and then you throw a little six yard pass and there's holding on it. Yeah. You get, you can get the holding, but you'll get five yards from the spot or whatever it is. But, but you don't get the automatic first down. Like, like, like it so baffles me how certain penalties uh, are, you know, are, are punished in certain ways, but how cavalierly the NFL gives out first downs on other penalties, like, like yeah. certain kinds of penalties, like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a first down. Like why, why is that a first down? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, which, which leads to my, my third rule that I hate. And that is the half the distance to the goal rule, right? The <laughs> idea, the idea, I get the idea. I get the idea of, half the distance to the goal. Okay. If you, 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 if you're on the 20 and you commit some sort of uh, personal foul or whatever, you don't want to take it all the way back, back to the five. If you're on the five, obviously it's, there's a holding, you can't go back far enough, but you can add to the first down marker, right? Like you can say like, if, like if there's a, if let's say you're on the five yard line and you jump off sides. Okay. Well, yeah, you have to, you go back to the two and a half. That's fine. But we're moving the marker, so you just have to go an extra five yards to get the first down. I don't understand why you get like you get a reprieve because you committed the penalty in a certain play. Like, like it always drives me insane where like you're like on the on the one inch line or whatever, and then you commit a penalty and then they they barely move the ball, right? They barely touch it and nothing changes. Well, you committed the penalty. It should be yeah. five yards further for you to go to for, get a first down. I I literally don't understand why they don't do that. Yeah, it, it's like a again a very crude, blunt yes. 
way to handle a, 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 a sort of specific situation. I mean, look, what we're saying is all these, every NFL rule is dumb. <laughs> every dumb. single one. Dumb. Um, right. I, I will go for my fourth pick. I don't even know. I don't, I couldn't even tell you what my third pick was. Cause we talked about 50 things, but for my fourth pick, um, I'm going to say, uh, that pass interference in the end zone being on the one yard line is really dumb. <laughs> like that just that, like you can throw a ball 50 yards. And if the pass interference occurs in the end zone, even if the guy probably wasn't going to make the catch, you just put it at the one. I mean, that's really dumb. You don't put anything else at the one, even when they kicked extra points, the ball was at the two, you know, like it's, it's like I get, again, I, you're, you're basically assuming on every pass interference that the receiver would have caught the ball. That's the, that's what that penalty does. Like you're, you're putting it as close to the, 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 the expected result as you could possibly put it. Like it, put it at the five or, or do, or make it a, make it a, look, they have another funny thing about this is there's three kinds of penalties, five yards, 10 yards and 15 yards. And then there's one other kind of penalty, which is any number of yards. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) it's just so, it's so crazy. And when that any number of yards thing happens, then, then you get to this weird, like we're putting it at the one. Why? Why? Like put it at the five. It's, it's, it's at least. If you put it at the one, the next play is the quarterback either takes the ball and pushes forward or he hands it to a running back who tries to get in from the one. At least make there be some drama. Like do, penalize the defense severely for pass interference in the end zone, but don't guarantee a touchdown. Well, like it fine. just, it, it wasn't a guaranteed touchdown when the ball was in the air. Like, so you, it's just, it, it's, I don't know. It's, that is also, a, it's everything about football rules is arbitrary and blunt. And uh, and that one drives me crazy. Well, that's just to me, honestly. Uh, this is what I think about because you could put it at the five, you could put it at the ten, you could put it like half the distance if you're if you're in the red zone, whatever the case may be. You could do something else, or what you're basically doing anyway. Just as soon as the pass interference is called, the referee says touchdown. That's it. You got a touchdown yeah. on the pass. Just put it in the end zone. I mean, if you're if you're going to do it that way anyway, just go ahead and make it a touchdown. Like what? Like why? Why? Why do we need to go to the one and like confirm it? Because one of the the one out of five hundred times you're not going to score the touchdown from the one is worth it. I mean, it's you're basically giving them a touchdown. So just go ahead and give it to them. If you're gonna if you're gonna be that ridiculous, I I. Totally agree. I have, that has driven me crazy. I, I'm going to pick with my my fourth pick is uh, this doesn't drive me crazy other than sort of the logical way I tend to think about life and sports. Um, I It drives me insane that kickoffs that go in the end zone go to the 25, but punts that go to the end zone go to the 20. That drives me nuts. It, it shouldn't. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But why? Why? I, I realize that the idea is supposedly to like prevent injuries that happen on kickoffs, which, you know, if you're going to do that, just eliminate kickoffs. I don't, I, you know, that's a whole other topic. But if the ball goes into the end zone, so if you fumble a ball in the end zone, as we just talked about, it goes out to the 20. If you punt the ball in the end zone, it goes to the 20. If you kick the ball in the end zone, it goes to the 25. It just That's right. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. Uh, is really it's incredibly dumb and it's the result of this new kickoff scenario by the way this is my fifth choice my fifth choice is it's it well it's it's part a and part b 
uh, part A is eliminate kickoffs. Just right. there's no point right. to them anymore. Nope. They are they are a waste of time. They're one out of twenty five is returned. Even it's way. it's a complete waste of time. But like the other team scores, walk down, put the ball at the twenty five, and start the next drive. Right. Like just do right. it. There's like it's uh, it's utterly pointless. But the but part B of this is you would still have to allow for um, onside kicks, which I which is great. But onside kicks are really boring. And part of the reason they're really boring is they never work. And the reason they never work is this weird rule where half the team has to be on the other side of the ball. Yeah. Some get rid of that. Thing. Yeah. Get, get rid of it. Just like either, either allow for the other, t- for you to stop. Like imagine how much more exciting it would be if 10 guys were lined up right. on the right side of the field right. and 10 guys were lined up on the 10 yards away. Now you're talking. Now you've got an actual exciting play. But as it stands, they squib the ball and it goes too far and they uh, the defensive guy falls on it. Like, uh, like it just, if you want that to be a viable thing or at least make it eight and two or something, well, but like, danger, right. I mean, that's the reason they changed that rule is because it is really dangerous to have 10 people running at each other. Right. Like that's then, the whole yeah, thing. it's a, it's a really dangerous game. No one really? should play it. <laughs> my, point, my point is like, they're making this. So now that you can't get onside kicks, but we're making the game safer, but it's like, Look, the game is not safer. I'm sorry. I mean, the game is incredibly dangerous. I, I am all for the. I'm all for getting rid of kickoffs because they, you know, they determined that some enormous number of concussions was the result of kickoff plays because everyone's running top speed as fast as they can and it's really chaotic and whatever. And they're running, you know, directly opposite each other, which usually isn't the case on right. a on on a given play. Usually, you don't have guys with 40 yard head starts running at top speed get uh, into each other so like get rid of them that no one who cares like a uh, kickoffs are a thing of the past like the you know it used to take nine balls and eight strikes for a walk or a strikeout in baseball and they changed the rule and the game got better so just get rid of the rule just put the ball to 25 and let the other team start and it's like when you're watching college football and they and they're in overtime and the, a team scores a touchdown and they kick the extra point the ball just goes right back to the 25 and they start again it's really exciting yeah, like yeah. it's like there's momentum to the game and they're They've now removed they, they you know, they've they've they haven't sped the game up because you still have to line up and kick the ball off. Right. right. Uh, and but they also haven't they've taken something potentially exciting out of the game. So it's it's a they made it they kept it the same length and they made it less exciting. Um, but the other thing to say about that, by the way, is that like kickoffs uh, in general are ceremonial. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're it's like it's fun at the beginning of the Super Bowl when the guy kicks the ball right. off. So make it like a toss, like a like a jump ball in basketball. They don't do jump balls at the beginning of every quarter or after every basket. They do them at the very beginning right. of the game because it's ceremonial and fun, and everybody like has memories of. And there's like cool Sports Illustrated photographs of Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain like right. jumping for a ball at midcourt right. to start a game. Fine. Do a car- do a kickoff at the beginning of each half if you want to. Sure. And then sure. and then you don't need them anymore. Well, you know my you know my theory. I don't know if I've ever told you this. So I have this idea that I think would be a ten thousand times better than the onside kick. So that which would this is the easiest way to get rid of kickoffs. The onside kick is if you choose to whatever quote unquote onside kick, you get the ball at the fifty yard line and one play to score. And if you score, you get the ball back. And if you don't score, you don't get the ball back. That's it. And then the other team gets the ball at the 50. So so essentially, you start at the 50, you throw your Hail Mary, which is just as good a chance as getting an onside kick anyway. Right. Super fun and exciting. We all love the Hail Mary. 
And that's, that's, you earn the ball back rather than it being some fluky. I mean, not that Hail Marys aren't fluky, but the ball, you're hoping the ball is going to deflect off a guy's leg and you're going to hope that you're going to mash like, you know, the, the guy who's going to catch the ball and take him out and whatever. Just run a Hail Mary. If you want to do the kick, you just do the Hail Mary. Just you make the call. I would love that. And then think how, how dramatic that would be where like, you know, in the first quarter you, you score and then you point and you're like, we're going for the Hail Mary right here. This is it. We're going for it. And, uh, and then if you get it, great. And if you don't get it, the other team gets the ball wherever. It's no less dumb than, than outside kicks. Like it would, it's no less dumb and it's way more exciting. I would love that so much more. So anyway, my, my rule. All right. My fifth pick, um, there are several really bad ones uh, remaining on our, on our list, but I, you know what I'm going to go with? I'm going to go with intentional grounding and intentional grounding is dumb on multiple levels. It's, it's multiple levels, but here is where it's like the dump to me, again, speaking about this from a purely logical standpoint. So as people know, intentional grounding, if you're out of the pocket, you can, as long as you throw the ball, what, past the first down marker, you get, it, it's not intentional grounding. If there's a receiver in the area, it's not intentional grounding. If it's, you know, but the idea is intentional grounding is throwing the ball away to prevent a sack, right? Like that's the whole idea. So you have these people out there arguing, like it's, it's, it's like going to court and arguing over some absurd loophole. The guy is always intentionally grounding the ball always every time there's an argument about the intentional grounding it's because the guy threw the ball away to avoid a sack that happens literally on every single intentional grounding and then that guy argues like no no that guy was sort of kind of in the area or no i was sort of out of the pocket but they're all in you i mean by it by by the by the plainest of terms they're all intentional grounding Every single one of those, the guy intentionally grounded the ball in order to avoid the sack. So the rule is just absurd. And then they have to like, like, oh, you know, like, were you really trying to throw to that guy when you threw it 75 feet over his head? Of course not. I mean, the, the whole thing is so illogical and ridiculous. So my fifth pick is intentional grounding. It's a good pick. Very dumb rule. It's all dumb. <laughs> I, it is. Also, it's also annoying when the guy throws the ball away and the refs start to confer, and then you see yes. the quarterback immediately pointing to some fullback who was blocking for him. You know, it's like uh, it gets off on a technicality. It's just like either let him throw the ball away or don't. Like, right? I, well, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly right. I look if they want to make it where it's like, hey, this is a dangerous game. You can throw the ball away if you want. I don't care. That that's fine too. But this idea that like, no, no, it's it's there's really truly logic to it. If you throw it sort of kind of near a guy, and absurd, just absurd. All right, we fixed the NFL. We, we just did. We just do good things here on the podcast. We, we fix everything. Everything. That's what we do. All right, time for our one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. And I'll go first because I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try something a little bit different. 
Uh, I've been lately, I've been sort of um, watching movies, not so much TV shows, although I'm sure this is true in TV. You probably would have a, a long list of these, but I've been watching movies for like the, the cliche, not the cliche words, but like the cliche things that people do in like lots and lots of different movies. This hit me the other day. I was watching a movie and I saw the, the, my, what is going to be my one last meaningless thing. So somebody was in the desert. Okay. I don't even know what movie this was, but they were in the desert and it was one of those, you know, scenes where, where they show like, like multiple, like, frames of the person like they show him like early in the morning and he's kind of walking and then they show him midday and he's beginning to 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 you know get really thirsty and then they show him at the end and he's dying he's like you know in the dirt or you know in the sand and 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 all that and then there's this wonderful thing that i saw and i thought my gosh how many times have i seen that which is this moment when they pull out the canteen and open it and like hold it upside down, even though there's no yeah. water in it. And they're just like kind of shaking it to try to get that last drop of water. That is such a wonderful movie thing. That is, I, <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. I love that people write, still write that in. I love that people still are like, yeah, no, you're, st- you're, you're so thirsty. You've, you're trying to get the last drop of water and you're just shaking it. And then you throw it away angrily after you realize there's no water in it at all. I love that. So I am keeping That's- a list of those now. That's great. Uh, another one to add to the list is when the guy, like usually like a, I don't know, a hard bitten detective or a sort of like down on his luck guy um, is like stumbles into like his bathroom. He's like hung over or he's like, he's something, something's right. He's had a rough couple weeks and he just grabs a bottle of pills and just chugs a <laughs> chugs a random number of the pills into his mouth without water and just chews them and drink like, and you don't know, it's, it could be like sleeping pills or it's, it's, you know, uh, you know, opiates or whatever, but it, he's not even, he doesn't even care how many pills he's supposed to take. He just, he eats them like they're, he's throwing Skittles into his mouth and just chews him without water. Cause he's tough. I love it. I love it. I'm putting that down <laughs> on my list. All right. So each week I'm going to try to come up with another one of these. Cause I, I think right. they're, they're, they're very awesome. Um, my one last meaningless thing is that uh, I had this deck of cards. So the uh, the good place, which I've been working on for four years, is almost uh, done. The second is to last episode airs this week. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Second to last episode this week, and then the hour long finale is uh, January thirtieth. And when I was um, trying to conceive of the show and 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 write the pilot, I had this deck of cards. They happen to be Boston Red Sox logo cards. Okay. And I, I needed something to distract myself because I can't just sit at a desk with like a blank sheet of paper and and uh, and like think. I have right. to do something do mundane something. to distract myself. And so I had this deck of cards that I don't know where I got it from. And I just played solitaire on, on my desk over and over and over again. And, uh, and, uh, and then I would like come up with an idea and then I would like jot something down and I'd go back to playing solitaire. And sure. I, I moved offices uh, just to the office next door to where I was before and I'll, everything was in boxes and I've been slowly unpacking it. And um, I found the deck of cards, which I had, had forgotten. I didn't know where it was, but I found the deck of cards and I counted them to see if it was a full deck. And it is, it was all 52. It was miraculous because they were wow. just at the spread over the bottom of this box. And uh, there is a, there's a particular joy, I think, in finding a deck of cards and counting them and then getting close to the end and 
and going, oh my God, it's a full deck. There's 52. <laughs> like, there's like, and like when you're at 48, 49, and you're like, oh my God, yes, it's a full deck. And it's just like a tiny, simple pleasure that I've had, you know, a dozen times in my life of, of counting a deck of cards and getting, and then finding out that there's 52 of them. And that, I just wanted to share that. That's that is, very meaningless. Oh my gosh. It's meaningless and wonderful. It's so true. And what about that moment when you're like halfway through and you have this sinking feeling like, ah, there are not 26 cards left. I, I just, I just yep. know. And I just know. And then you keep going like, oh, wait, those two were stuck together. And you just keep going. And it's kind of always surprising because you when you get into like the high 30s, the cards that are left in your hand don't feel no, like the right amount. Like the right amount. It's exactly right. Yeah. It's ex- ah, I love this one. I'm surprised. <laughs> Surprised still you didn't like how, how good a shuffler are you? How good a shuffler of cards? I'm a very good shuffler. Oh, I'm an excellent good. shuffler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I've I've spent many hours. I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I wrote I wrote a book about Harry Houdini. Did I say something? The magician? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I thought that'd be kind of interesting. So like ten years I, ago? Uh no, it came out just in October. Thanks for asking. Oh, okay. Okay. Um so anyway, I always had this deck of cards, exactly the same thing, but instead of playing solitaire, I would sort of false shuffle and do various other sort of pseudo magical things. And uh, I loved it. I I think there is something about working with your hands um, that, that sort of clears the mind a little bit. I think, I think that's, I think that's true, especially if you can kind of do it mindlessly, you know, where you're not thinking about it, you're just doing stuff. I think that's really good. By the way, I will say this before we go, uh, the good place as as Mike mentioned, we're down uh, at this point to the final two episodes and it is, this season has been incredible and awesome. And, uh, and if you have not seen all of them, be sure to, uh, go to Hulu or where can you see them? Like, uh, like- you can see past seasons on Netflix, the right. current season, the, like the last five are on Hulu or NBC.com or NBC.com. Um, but yeah. catch up because, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's leading to an awesome, awesome place. Uh, as far as I know, Mike has not given me any of the uh, details because he's mean, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's really is incredible. So it's Thursday, this Thursday at uh, what is it? Eight Eastern? I think it's eight thirty. I forget now. I think it's eight thirty. But it's the then, second to last episode, and uh, and then next week is uh, the finale. It's an it's hour also, long, yeah. But it's also eight thirty, as far as you know. I believe so. Yeah. But then it's it actually is a little longer than an hour, so it's going to actually bleed into the third half hour. But then. For the rest of that third half hour, we're dissolving to New York, where the cast is going to be interviewed live by Seth Meyers for like oh, fifteen minutes. Which will be, re- I are will you- be there. I'm not going to be on camera, but I'll be, uh, I'll be in New York. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So the good place. Please catch up, Mike. As always, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs>